This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the This Week in Rays Baseball podcast. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, thanks for joining us on our podcast. We haven't had one since spring training began, so joining us here in Port Charlotte is Senior VP Haim Bloom. And Haim, obviously a very busy stretch would probably be an underestimation of, of what has taken place, the trade of Jake Odorizzi to the Twins, Corey Dickerson designated for assignment, and the addition of C.J. Crone. Walk us through the reasons for each of these moves and how they impact 2018 and beyond. Well, it was certainly a, a busy day, uh, in some ways a difficult day. You know, when you get to know guys uh, and you appreciate who they are on the field, off the field, you get attached to them. But something, you know, the, the combination of moves that we thought uh, was the right thing for us. Um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, both of the guys that uh, that are leaving, uh, you know, with Corey having been designated and, and Jake having moved, uh, these were guys where we felt, you know, in the big picture, it, it made some sense to move them. With Jake, uh, we have, uh, we're, we're blessed with a lot of starting pitching options uh, that we um, think very highly of, and some of them who are just starting to make their way to the big leagues or haven't gotten there yet but are on the cusp and we want to make sure that we have lanes open for those guys um and uh you know what they might be able to become in the future and at the same time we were able to pick up in Jermaine Palacios uh a, a young infield prospect that we think pretty highly of um and then you know with Corey uh we do have a a surplus of left-handed hitting outfielders and uh, at the same time, being able to pick up C.J. Crone, who's a right-handed hitter, who's a first baseman, which fits us a little bit better, and uh, you know brings power uh, and some of the same attributes that Corey does, but brings it from the right side of the plate, and uh, you know from at an infield position, which fits us well. Uh, so we thought that swap kind of made sense too. And at that point, knowing we were going to move Corey, we thought it was best uh, to resolve it sooner rather than later. All right, we're going to go through each of those moves a little more detail individually, but the tweets and emails, text messages I get on my phone from an average fan is, hey, this was a salary dump. Why are they doing this? I don't understand from that perspective. Can you address that aspect of it and, and why in your mind it wasn't? And we get that. Um and look, you know, in our situation, we do have to be very financially aware. And there is a financial aspect to so many of the things that we do. And that's not something we're looking to run from. Uh, and it is something we have to monitor. Uh, but that's because our resources are limited. And we want to make sure that we use them in the best way possible, uh, you know, for the, for the big picture and for the long term to, uh, to build a team that can contend year in and year out. So that is a factor, but it's not the only factor here. And, uh, you know, even having, having – uh, move some money off of our books, we still have the flexibility to reinvest that money in the club if the right opportunities are there. And if they're not there at this moment, you know, that's money we'll be able to use down the road uh, in situations where it really matters. And for some context, tell me if I'm wrong here. You've had four straight sub-500 seasons, and you actually, before these moves were made, had basically more payroll invested in 2018 than you had in all of 2017, which includes making additions at the trading deadline last year, correct? 
Yeah, roughly speaking, that's correct. And, uh, you know, that that's not necessarily an ideal situation. Uh, it's, it's manageable, but it's not necessarily ideal. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, we're, we, we're fortunate again, where we're not given a, a target number that we have to get payroll to a certain number. But at the same time, we do have to look at the big picture and figure out how best to, to allocate our resources and how best to spend that money. Okay, let's take a look at the moves individually. Let's begin with Jacob Rizzi. Um, how much of the move is based on the depth that you have in that spot? Even with you know, forget the the guys who were in Durham last year. You now have a potential five of, and you're going to go with four, I guess, at times early in the year because of all the days off. But you've got Archer, Avaldi, uh, Snell, Faria, Andres, who all certainly are capable of starting. Yeah, and there's no question. And, and then behind those guys, we have some of the guys who are the stalwarts of our uh, national championship club in Durham, all of whom have a lot of AAA time under their belts and uh, all of whom we think have the potential to really help us uh, in the big leagues, and, that, and you didn't even, you know, that doesn't even include someone like Austin Pruitt, who has shown himself, uh, you know, when he's going right to be a very capable major league starter. So while we think highly of Jake, um, we do have a lot of depth in that area, and basically, you know, feel that between the, the value of giving opportunities to some of those young guys, and also the, what we expect them to produce, that uh, the the drop off won't be as great as it might be if we weren't in this situation. The fan may also go, okay, Jacob Rizzi is. A guy with two years left seems like, you know, reasonable amount of money that he's being paid for the market. Um, And they're looking at one player like a Palacios. How good do you believe Palacios is? Because I've seen reports from a borderline top 30 guy to a possible top 10 prospect when he was in the twin system. Yeah, needless to say, obviously, given that he was the entire return for Jake, I think we we think more highly of Palacios than a lot of uh, what's out there publicly. Um, you know, he's an athlete. Uh, he's shown the ability to play good shortstop, and he's also shown some bat potential. Uh, and he's and he's still quite young, and uh, had already has already had success. Uh, certainly in low A and even some success in high A, so he's well on his way. And there's a lot of different paths for a player like this, but we like a lot of the ingredients that are there. And I guess what we're seeing, though, is that the market is quite different now than, let's say, even when you got Jeremy Hellickson a few years ago, when you got a Justin Williams and an Andrew Velasquez, that is a larger return. In part, I think, is it fair to say because of all the guys who are still free agents? I mean, Alex Cobb is out there, Jake Arrieta's out there, Lance Lynn. Doesn't that also impact the marketplace a little bit? No question that has some effect, and it's been a very unique offseason, as we've talked about before, and as, uh, has been a big topic of conversation throughout the industry. And look, when there are a lot of options out there, uh, you know, teams are going to approach uh, the trade market differently as well. And, uh, you know, we, be- we basically felt we were at the point where, from a timing standpoint, it made a lot of sense to just pick a direction and go with it. And also, you know, again, we talked about Palacios. This is a return that we like, a player that we like. And so given all that, uh, you know, we just thought this was the right time to move. Does it similarly impact Corey Dickerson and the fact that you weren't able to make a trade initially for him? Boy, I can name a lot of guys, John Jay, Melky Cabrera, and so on and so on, who are outfielders, who are fairly accomplished, who are free agents. And there are probably some guys who um, are potential trade candidates also. There's a glut of corner outfielders, too. And you have Denard Spann and Malik Smith. So it's not like you don't have a guy who can play left field this year. Exactly. And uh, on the position player side, too, I think it's having an effect where I think it's kind of, uh, you know, with the more options that you have, uh, if you're a club looking to add an outfielder or a left-handed bat, 
you know, the easier it is not to commit to any of them and just to wait it out. Uh, you know, we've had some conversations on Corey, basically wanted to resolve the process and resolve it sooner uh, than, rather than later, both for our benefit and also for Corey's benefit, too. I think it helps him to have a, an earlier resolution to his situation so everybody can move forward, get ready for the season. And uh, basically what this does is this, this puts a clock on it. And uh, we think that with that timetable, it'll be easier to bring this to a resolution, whatever that may be. You could probably argue the same applies for the player you got in C.J. Crone. A, how good do you think he can be? And B, how much of this also getting him at a fairly reasonable price has to do with, same thing, first baseman. I can think of Mark Reynolds, Mike Napoli, Adam Lynn, Logan Morrison, Lucas Duda. How many first basemen are out there? And this also gives you a right-handed option. And we'll get to another part of this too that involves the race system and not blocking players. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think, you know, CJ's a player that we've had our eye on for a little while. And he actually brings, uh, again, from the right side, but some of the same attributes that I think uh, Coy brought in terms of this is a guy with massive power. And the power doesn't come with a whole lot of strikeouts. Uh, the strikeout rate is actually pretty under control uh, for a guy with this much power. He's demonstrated in the past not uh, to have a very, uh, you know, the typical large platoon split for a guy like this. And really his whole major league career, he's been in a less than ideal situation in Anaheim with having holes on hand and not necessarily always able to get regular playing time. Uh, so we're excited. We see a lot of natural hitting ability there and uh, he's shown you know some of that at the big league level we're excited to get him into our situation uh let him breathe a little bit change his scenery and further build on what he's already accomplished but at the same time you also don't want to block jake bowers correct i mean jake's a guy who could help the team i think many would argue this year yeah and that's a big priority for us is you know long term we want to make sure we have a lane for jake and, uh, you know, with CJ being right-handed, not only does that in, in the short run really help balance our lineup some, uh, but it also, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't close off that lane longer term for Jake Bowers. So uh, here we sit, um, the next to last week of February, you still, I would think, you, you want to move forward, but you also have your fair, a fair amount still that you want on your, your checklist? Yeah, I mean, you know, at some point you do want to be able to look forward, get ready for the season, really get to know your guys, start making the decisions, the internal decisions that we have to make every spring training. Uh, it's just been an unusual winter where I think a lot of those, a lot, a lot of that time where you kind of start doing that and start looking forward uh, and really shaping your 25 man across the industry that seems to have been postponed a little where it's taking a little longer to get to that stage. Have we reached that stage now? Uh, it's hard to say definitively. Uh, this is certainly a big step in that direction. Well, Haim, we appreciate a few minutes um, and offering your explanation on what's gone on the last 24 to 48 hours, and uh, good luck these next several weeks. Appreciate it, Neil. Thank you. Well, we certainly appreciate Haim Bloom joining us to discuss uh, the recent moves the Rays made and to get some further perspective. Who better to talk to than a guy who's been – with the race since day one covering them, and that's Mark Topkin in the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. You know it's always the highlight of the day, the week, the month for me. Yeah, that's the best part of the podcast is hearing Mark's sarcasm right at the top. Uh, you're, obviously, I think, I don't know if we would call all of this a surprise in terms of the big picture. Like going into the offseason, I think you and I both expected that Odorizzi would probably get moved that Corey Dickerson was a good bet to be moved. I think the timing of it, based on the way the market moved, was probably the bigger surprise. Fair? It was. I, I think two surprises, Neil. I think one was that it took this long, because you're right, and, and you know, and 
Like we talked about the fact that they might trade Evan Longoria, and there are a lot of people doubting a lot of the things I wrote about that through November and into December, and, and I do believe he's playing for the Giants now. So they were going to move some guys. They were going to cut payroll. Sometimes you got to do stuff your boss tells you to do. I mean, I don't know if Larry ever comes down hard on you or not, but you know, sometimes you just got to do what your boss tells you to do, and, and Eric Neander had to do that in moving some guys. The surprise was it took this long. And to be honest, the surprise was what they got back. I mean, in Corey Dickerson's case, obviously DFAing him, we'll see what the resolution of that is by the end of the week. But, you know, to not, in essence, get anything for him potentially. But there was a benefit to that financially. The Rays get out of his contract by DFAing him or potentially by releasing him within the first 15 days of camp. You only have to pay one six. So they basically minimized their risk from $6 million to $1 million. Jake Odorizzi, I mean, I'm surprised. I would have thought he would have got a better return. Now, do we know how good that return is? We won't for a couple of years. A Class A shortstop prospect needs a couple of years to be judged. But just, you know, on the appearance of it, that he was a guy who wasn't on a top 30 list for Baseball America, that it wasn't a multiple-player package. This is, a, you know, Jake Odorizzi, you would have thought going to the offseason, would get you a couple of pieces or a major league, you know, level player or something like that. So I think we were surprised about that. Eric Neander was steadfast that that was a reflection of the market. Let me offer a, a contrast in that. First, in the, in the case of Palacios, at the time David Price was traded, didn't we hear the same things about Willie Adamas, who is this guy? Why He wasn't even a top 100 prospect. You would figure you have to get for David at the time, and now he's a top 15 to 20 prospect in the game. The second thing is on Jake. You know, I, I look at the six what I would call World Series contenders, and I wrote about this on my blog, Cleveland, uh, Houston, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. Would Jake be better than a fourth or fifth starter on most of those teams? Or in some cases, maybe not even in the rotation and even the 08 and 10 division winning teams for the race. Would he be better than a fourth starter? If that's the case, if you're talking a fourth or fifth championship level starter, how much can you really truly expect to get for them in today's day and age with all the starters still out there as free agents? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably split the difference on you there. I think, you know, obviously it's all relative on the Washington Nationals. Jake Odorizzi is the fourth or fifth starter. Absolutely no doubt about it. On the Tampa Bay Rays, he would have been the number two starter. Yeah, somewhere in the middle there. But I do think a guy who, you know, for most teams is still relatively affordable, who has been relatively healthy, who's known for taking the ball, who's put together, you know, pretty solid record, four straight years pitching for an AL East team, not obviously only against AL East teams, but against that being the bulk of your competition, have an ERA, you know, in that three and a half range or so. He has a winning record for the people that still value the W's there. You know, and, and sure, he's not going to get you the glamour package. And, you know, I remember hearing at some point during this offseason that, you know, if the Rays traded Odorizzi for X, Archer would be 2X. Well, I'm still surprised that Odorizzi didn't get more for his X in that regard. Now, you're right about, you know, it's a decent comparison. Eric Neander made a similar reference the other day. You must have given him that line about, you know, Adamus and Palacios, and, and maybe he turns out to be that guy. It just seemed like there would have been something a little bit higher level, especially if there were teams wanting him. I mean, I just did an interview earlier this week with Milwaukee Radio, and they thought they were going to get Odorizzi, and, and the guy was like, well, why wouldn't the Rays have traded him here? And I said, well, all you had to do was offer more than the Class A shortstop prospect, and maybe you could have got him. And I guess I, I, my thought is Eric's not turning down offers that are better, so that's the best offer they got. That's the best offer they got in their, in their evaluation. Yeah, and the other, the other point, I think, on this, Neil, was you know they, Eric Neander and the Rays made a decision to act now. And you could argue, why not wait? Why not wait and see what happens with Alex Cobb, with Jake Arrieta, with Lance Lynn, the other free agents. Jeremy Hellickson is still out there. There's still some starters out there, you know, similar caliber, better caliber, worse caliber than Jake Odorizzi. If they want, why not wait, let the team sign those guys and then pick off somebody who didn't get a starter. And Eric's answer was kind of the opposite strategy. They felt the other way, that they were afraid the avenues were going to dry up. 
that there wouldn't be a place to trade Jake Jake Odorizzi to, and you also have the potential, as with any player, he could get hurt. And I think there's another piece to this. As we sit here, we're starting full squad workouts. Do you want to wait until mid-March and then make those moves and then have that ripple through your clubhouse rather than have five weeks to kind of prepare for, you know, the the reality that you're not going to have either of them and now you can try and move on and at least move beyond it a little bit earlier yeah and there is a there is an intrinsic benefit to that and, and you know eric did reference that a couple times that he wanted to get this resolved before full squad workouts the reality is guys have been down here all week so you still have that disruption there's still that the visual yesterday of walking in and seeing the empty locker and Odorizzi being the considerate midwestern nice guy that he has left his parking pass there and taped it to the locker for somebody else to be able to use it and but yeah in the past Teams would say they didn't want to do a trade in spring training because it did cause that disruption. Now, okay, they only want to do it early in spring training, but this is going to be a year. We're going to see guys moving in and out all spring. I mean, Tommy Hunter came into the Rays last year. Uh, Derek Norris came in late in spring training. So it's happened before. I think you're going to see more of it throughout baseball this year. I think, in fact, I would expect, maybe not expect is the right word, I certainly would anticipate the Rays would add a right-handed bat into their outfield. I don't think C.J. Crone is all they will add because of the the fact that they took some payroll off with the moves they made. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. I mean, you know, we don't have any specifics. One of the things the Rays do is they don't put out there the payroll has to be cut to this amount or this is what their budget is or things like that. It's, it's kind of a moving target. It's a three-year rolling number. You know, Andrew Friedman used to have a great way to convince Steve Sternberg, the owner, well, I know we we're going to do this, but just give me a little more now and we'll, we'll catch up at the end. Well, they've caught up a couple times now and you know, whether they're going to add a little bit. I mean, you saved about 10 with these moves, or they saved about 10 with these moves that they made over the weekend here relative to what happens with Dickerson. But, you know, there's going to be some bargains out there. I mean, Logan Morrison is still sitting out there, and, and I don't know how, how necessarily you could where you'd fit him because you've got Denard Spann right now maybe getting some DH at-bats. But, you know, there's going to be some interesting pieces. Maybe a right-handed hitting outfielder because Sousa's a right-handed hitter. Kiermaier's a left-handed hitter. Spann's a left-handed hitter. Malik Smith, I think, is going to be your primary left fielder right now. He's a left-handed hitter. So they could use a little bit more balance out there. There's some guys in camp, but I don't know if there's anybody that really jumps out at you as the guy. Correct, and and we'll see how that goes as we go. The other piece of this that I thought was interesting is when the Rays announce they trade Jake Odorizzi, we find out the next day that – and maybe not shocking because they've got so many days off, but they're going to go with a four-man rotation and at least for the first six weeks kind of rotate who that fifth guy that fills in is. Yeah, there's three or four times they're going to need a fifth guy just you know based on how the schedule is set up right now. Uh, so it's a little surprising in that you know it's not where some years where you say, oh, four is totally obvious because you really don't need the fifth guy. They're going to need him the first time through the rotation because they play mm-hmm. – uh, four games at home against the Red Sox, and then they play the Yankees, and then there's that day off because it's the Yankees' home opener. So they're going to need a fifth guy right away. So it's going to be a bullpen guy. You can't do a lot of maneuvering in the first 10 days of the season. But, you know, they're going to have to find a way to patch it through. But the point was that Kevin Cash made is over the bigger picture of those first six weeks, on most times through, those guys would have an extra day or sometimes two days. They didn't want to disrupt those guys. It's a little interesting because Nate Valdi coming off the Tommy John surgery, his second one, you think they're going to handle him cautiously, so maybe they would have taken advantage of the extra rest. The other side of that is some people say put a guy on a regular schedule who's coming back off of that so he doesn't have the disruption of an extra day here, not the extra day this time, and let him get in a routine. And this is all under the umbrella of we know the Rays are going to be a little bit more aggressive as pulling their starters out and you know kind of not going through that order, not going deeper in the game unless they're pitching really, really well. Matt Andres now in a multi-inning role. Yeah, and he's an interesting guy for that. I mean, you probably make sense when you think about it. I know how much Matt has looked forward to every year. It seems like he's the guy who kind of gets jerked around, whether it's AAA to the big leagues, whether it's 
rotation to bullpen back and forth. He's just been kind of that guy. It's been kind of his lot in life here with the Rays. And he was looking forward to having a chance to just be a starter this year. But, you know, the Rays got out ahead of it. They told him yesterday, you're going to be this multi-inning guy. And you look around the game, that's becoming a valuable weapon. Unfortunately, it doesn't translate to getting paid for some of these players. And that's going to be where I think the pushback is going to come from. Well, uh, he hasn't been paid to do this podcast. I can guarantee you that. But we certainly appreciate the knowledge on our latest podcast today. But you do let me hang out with Dave and Andy for a few minutes as return, right? Yes, he'll definitely get that. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Now, we mentioned the bullpen. Um, One guy who I don't think is going to compete right now for a bullpen spot, but certainly has a chance to over the long haul, is Ian Jabot, because he's one of several guys who had those wow arms in camp, guys who can throw 100 miles an hour or near that. So I had a chance to talk to Ian a little bit about him being in his first big league camp. I mean, I was I was in shock. I mean, I was I was so excited hearing uh, hearing that news. I mean, when I answered the phone, I mean, uh, it was it was incredible. I mean, it was a dream come true being able to participate in a big league spring training. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was super ecstatic. Where were you, and were you surprised at all? I mean, you had a pretty good year in Double A. Yeah, I mean, I was at home. Um, I actually was just wrapping up a workout. Um, called me midday and uh it was jeff mclaren i remember he called me and he was asking just what i was doing how my office was going and he was like oh, yeah i'd like to formally invite you to big league spring training and it was, it was a dream come true were you always a guy who played baseball and if not were there other things that you know you had to decide between as you grew as an athlete uh, i mean pretty much i was just all baseball i mean i played uh, my dad's English, so he tried to he tried to make, get me to play soccer, but wasn't wasn't part of one of my forte to play soccer. So I just stuck with baseball ever since I was a little kid. And always a pitcher. And uh, if so, who did you emulate, grow up watching, want to be like when you were a kid? Well, I just honestly didn't start pitching until my senior year of high school. Um, I started pitching my junior year, but I got hurt and missed that whole season. Um, but I played first base in high school. Um, senior year, I really started getting on the mound. And then after that, I kind of started blooming blooming a little bit into a pitcher and was able to get a scholarship to Tulane and took off from there. So where'd the velocity come from? Because obviously watching you the other day, it's you and, and Ryan and Diego. It's three guys who are probably throwing close to triple digits or can throw close to triple digits. You know, I don't know. I just got blessed, got lucky somehow. Um, I mean, a lot of hard work and training and stuff, but kind of just kept going up and up and up. And some outings. When did it start to happen? And what were you at in high school that all of a sudden now, let's say, as a guy who's been in the in the race system for a few years, you're nearing that number or have hit that number? So my junior year, I was about 82. Um, then I got hurt. And my first outing back, I was I was hitting 86, and I was like, "Wow, I might actually get to play college baseball now." And I was pretty I was pretty pumped up about that. And um, so I came back, and then I was like 86 again from my injury after like taking six months off. Um, then the next outing, I was up to 89, jumped up, and then I hit 90 a couple weeks later, and then 91 a couple weeks later, then 92, and kept going up. And then I remember my first outing in college, I was up to 96 my freshman year. So kind of then kind of, I guess, plateaued right there a little bit. And then this year jumped up even more this past year. 
what do you hope to gain out of a camp then like this? It, obviously, you put yourself, you know, people notice you. I mean, just experience. I mean, being in a big league locker room, just getting to know people, just getting familiar, uh, recognizing familiar faces, and just being here and sunking it all in. Are there are you a quiet guy? Are you guys going to ask a lot of questions? And are there certain guys, because, look, everyone in here is different, everyone's got different backgrounds, that you want to pick their brain as camp goes on? For sure. I'll definitely talk to some older guys. I mean, uh, I played with Johnny Venner's last couple of years. He's been here and there from teams I've been on. Uh, great guy. I mean, he's class act. He's such a nice guy. And I've talked to him about playing and stuff and what it's like in the big leagues. I mean, he's had tons of success up there. I mean, all-star, amazing pitcher. Uh, so I've talked to him a little bit about what it's like and stuff. and So picked his brain a little bit, but there's numerous guys in here that are great pitchers, and I'd love to get a chance to talk to them about it. I, I would think that as a reliever it's very important to be able to kind of move on from one day to the next. What do you do to kind of clear your mind, or what do you do away from the field that allows you to kind of just worry about today? I don't know. I mean, I've always been a pretty laid-back guy and easygoing guy, so, I mean, not not too much affects me. I mean, I go up a home run, like, oh, whatever. It, it is what it is. Can't take it back now. But, um, I mean, off the field, I go fishing when I'm here. I mean, hang out. It's peaceful, just hanging out, a couple friends, going fishing. So, it's not too bad. That clears the mind pretty well. I know we from a video interview we do with you. We learned you you're actually a certified scuba instructor too. How'd you how'd you pick that up? I don't know. I just when I was younger, just we were vacationing with my family. We were in Mexico, and my mom asked, my mom asked if I wanted to do it, and I was like, Yeah, why not? I'll give it a shot. And then I had so much fun doing it. Every time we'd go vacation, then I just I just would ask her, I need to go do it again. And then she'd let me. So and eventually, I just got certified and. It's a pretty, pretty sweet thing to do. That is Ian Jabot, and we certainly appreciate him joining us on our latest podcast, and we certainly appreciate you being with us, as well as Hyam Bloom and Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We will have a Countdown to Opening Day show this coming Saturday and Sunday. Kyle Snyder, the pitching coach Chris Archer, will be among our guests, and we'll also have periodic podcasts during the course of camp, uh, especially if other moves occur. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.